0: All right everyone. I'm Hannah and I'm Anna and this is but, but it, it is rocket, rocket science. science.
1: Hannah, how have you been?
0: Anna, I've been doing well. The last two weeks have been really exciting
1: with all the space news we've been getting. Oh man, Perseverance's landing was amazing.
0: Oh yeah, and then the Hope probe got to Mars safely and started sending pictures back of the Martian surface. It was an exciting few days. It really has been. For Perseverance, I just noticed this earlier today when I looked up I typed in perseverance into Google, and and right after I did the search, there were fireworks on my screen.
1: That's so cute! Yeah,
0: I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna try that right now.
1: Yes, try it. Google.com perseverance. Yay! Heck I thought yeah. that wasn't gonna happen. Oh, that's adorable! I love it. Google perseverance. Yeah. That's so cute. So Google commemorated perseverance and then Krispy Kreme did with the donuts. I know. <laughs> I didn't even know those existed. A friend of mine brought them bought them for me. She was like, "I was afraid you had already gotten your own." I was like, "I have I moved. I moved to a new apartment." <laughs> Which meant everything else in my life went completely haywire. I just stopped paying attention to it. And I was like, I had no idea they were making donuts for this. Yeah,
0: I thought it was awesome. So I saw it because someone, one of my friends on Facebook posted a picture. And it was a mistake to think they would have leftovers the next day because I was so swamped. I couldn't go grab some. And then I went the next day to Krispy Kreme. And of course, they were sold out, you know. Aww, Such a hot item. They were really
1: good. Mm-hmm.
0: It's okay, I'm sure
1: they'll, I hope they do it again, like for another space thing, that we get another space donut.
0: Yeah, I just thought it was so awesome. I was not expecting that kind of like, like a donut honor. I thought that was really cool. No.
1: They were really cute and they were very tasty. I posted a picture on our Twitter. Yeah, I saw that. I was really excited
0: when I saw that <laughs> you got the donuts.
1: <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine brought them for me, so shout out to them. Thank you. Okay,
0: All do right. you want to get into this thing? Yeah. Wait a second. How have you
1: been, Anna? Oh, man. Oh, man. I moved. (laughs) How's the moving going? It's horrible. That's why this episode is late. Oh, God. So I'm in my new place, and I really like it, and it's 100% worth it, but it was a lot of work, and there's stuff everywhere.
0: Yeah, but your new place looks awesome. Anna sent me some photos. She's got more square footage.
1: Oh, I do. That wasn't a high part, though.
0: (laughs) Got all your plants safely settled in.
1: I did get all my plants safely settled in. That was dramatic. I was worried about them, but they made it. Heck yeah! I don't think any of them died either. Thank goodness. I know I was very worried. Thank you. That was a good. That was a good. <laughs> that was a good question. <laughs>
0: I just know how much you love your plants, and Anna has I a do. wild green thumb. It's amazing.
1: Oh, you're so nice to me. Thank you. My mom is the. She's taught me everything she knows. Um, but they all made it here. I was like, these were my friends during some parts of the pandemic. You know, it's just so
0: cathartic taking care of plants. It
1: is. It is. And when they do really well, I'm like, oh, you're doing so good, buddy. Yeah. It's like a science project working out. (laughs) It is. Exactly. Exactly. You're like, oh, you were dying. So I moved you to a new spot and now you're better. Fascinating. My hypothesis worked. (laughs) I (laughs) know. Um, All right, we should get into this before there's any more clips of this that just make me sound insane. <laughs> no, but
0: yeah, let's let's get into it. Okay,
1: um, you, so today Hannah had this idea a long time ago, and then I thought it would be a good one to do. We are doing Kessler Syndrome, also known as space garbage. That's
0: right. So. I thought about this a while ago and totally forgot about it, and I brought it back to life. And especially with everything going on recently, we're like, why don't we talk about all the orbital debris out there and the problems surrounding it and why we need to take care of it?
1: Exactly. I feel like it's an issue that every once in a while gets brought up for a second, and then people kind of just move on and forget about it.
0: Right. And it's something we really <laughs> need to be
1: talking about in the space community and making it a priority. 100%. So to start out, I just found this little poem I thought I'd read. So, the universe is infinite, but space has its limits. Rockets are launching, satellites are orbiting. Explosions in space, oh what a waste. Fragments go flying, and we go crying. Space junk we've got, man-made or not. Then comes Kessler, who knows the better. When things collide, their debris de- do their debris do multiply. Thanks to partnering and NASA's gathering, we look for ways to manage the spray. So I thought that was fun. And that's by S. Thu Nyugin Onstott. That was beautiful. I love that poem. I really liked it. I found it on a NASA article about orbital debris. And I was like, oh, that's so... It's like cute and light, but also uh, I think perfectly sums up the issue. Oh, yeah, exactly. I love it. It's one of those things where you're like, oh, that's sweet. And then you think about the lyrics a little more and you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right it's just like those it's like those songs that sound really catchy and then you carefully listen yep. to the lyrics and like this is really dark
1: yeah <laughs> you're like oh i don't feel good anymore <laughs> <laughs> all right hannah's gonna start us off she's gonna summarize why space debris is a problem and what exactly kessler syndrome is let's do this what is space debris and why is it a problem so space
0: junk also known as space debris, is the millions of pieces of human-made and natural-made objects that are located in low Earth orbit, LEO, which is, so low Earth orbit is at an altitude of 2,000 kilometers or less above Earth.
1: I forget that it goes that high.
0: Yeah, I forget that too, Um, but it does, and I thought, It does. Yeah.
1: <laughs> You're like, I forget that too, but it does, Anna, regardless of whether or not you remember that. Um, okay, continue. Uh,
0: transitions. So um the human-made objects can be flex so these human-made objects that comprise space debris can be flex of paint, satellites, and pieces of satellites that are out of commission, and pieces of rockets. And as collisions between these objects occur, More pieces of these objects get fragmented off, adding to the space junk problem. The NASA website described this as the world's largest garbage dump. And the reason why they describe it this way is because of the 6,000 tons, or 5.5 million kilograms, of space junk pieces in LEO. Whoa. Yeah, it's crazy. That's a lot of garbage. Mm Mm-hmm. So Anna mentioned, when Anna introduced this episode, she referred to the Kessler syndrome. So I'll get into that next.
1: Next, It's like, I feel like such a buzzword.
0: It is. But we think it's important that everyone really know why it's such a buzzword. Yes, it is. It's a buzzword for a reason. Exactly. So back in 1978, Donald J. Kessler and Burton G. Kaur both scientists at NASA, published a paper that spoke about How collisions between space debris objects can generate an exponential increase in space debris objects. So, basically, let's say if a meteorite hit some floating satellite remnant, both objects, when they collided with each other, would fragment into tens of hundreds of more tiny fragments. And they spoke of how over time, a belt of space debris fragments would surround the Earth. And this became known as the Kessler syndrome.
1: Yeah, exactly. So essentially you'd have one collision that creates a bunch of debris, and that debris would create more collisions and more collisions and more collisions like dominoes.
0: Exactly.
1: But not fun. Exactly.
0: The Kessler syndrome is also associated with the terms collisional cascading and ablation cascade, which describes that space debris collisions are similar to, just like Anna put it, a domino effect. Hey! Hey!
1: I like when I'm right, but not when it's about this.
0: Yeah. So now why is this a problem? Well, let's think about it. These pieces of space junk are orbiting the Earth at high speeds, and the number of them continue to grow and grow. And this can eventually become an untraversable barrier for future rockets and satellites. And we need our future rockets and satellites to successfully embark on their missions to continue advancing human knowledge.
1: It's tricky because we need satellites. I would very much like satellites and rockets to keep going up there. But we have so much stuff up there. How do we keep doing what we're doing, but also mitigate the issue?
0: Completely. So, Anna, that actually is a great transition into what I'm going to talk about next. How are are we? (laughs) Yay!
1: Happy to help.
0: Thank you. So what are we doing to solve this issue? Well, there is an international law that describes liability of space objects. Article 7 of the Treaty on Principles Governing the Activities of States in the Exploration and Use of Outer Space, including the Moon and other celestial bodies, that was a really long title for a treaty. I was about to
1: say that was really good. Also, so it's Article Vii, and I looked at it and I was like, "Oh my god, I have no idea what number that is." So nice job.
0: Oh man, Roman numerals are rough, you know.
1: It's there. Do you ever have things that like you try over and over again and you just cannot remember?
0: Yes, yes.
1: Mine is Roman numerals. I know the V is five because of the Saturn V. Yes, um, and I think the X is ten, and that's literally all I know. <laughs> And I'm like, if they go after, do you add or do you subtract? I don't know. So that was I was very impressed. Uh, thanks, Anna. Um,
0: where was I? I was trying to think of something where I have difficulty with like Roman numerals, and I know there's a bunch of them, but I can't come up with something. you like, immediately. I'm just so perfect. Hello, I hello. Have
1: nothing. <laughs> I have no <laughs> issue with anything like you, lay people. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> my bad
0: <laughs> uh, all right let's keep going on before people think i'm just full of myself so oh
1: man well you i have
0: every right to be oh no 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 <laughs> and i was just anna has seen me as a complete idiot so i'm amazed that she's oh, saying my that
1: <laughs> my fa- i was thinking the other night i was laying in bed i could remember this story We did one of those Ragnar relay races, and we were napping in the middle of the day. I was just on the ground in a park next to a group of dudes playing horseshoes who probably were very confused about what we were doing. And so I wake up. I'm really confused. I get in the truck, and Hannah just goes, Anna, I have to tell you something. I was afraid she was going to tell me something really bad. And she's like, I have a confession to make. So at this point, I'm like scared. She was like, while you were sleeping, I drank out of your water bottle because I couldn't find mine. I completely forgot about that. I was thinking about that the other day. I was just so serious. I was afraid she was going to tell me something horrible. I was like, oh, you can do that. Uh, (laughs) Oh my gosh. Anna has saved me so much with all her.
0: Anna's just so much more prepared than I am. And I definitely need that in my life sometimes.
1: We all need that, friend. She has the extra water bottle, (laughs) the warmer sleeping bag that she would let me borrow at races everybody makes fun of me you're like why do you have all this stuff and i'm like you make fun of me until people need it <laughs> and then they appreciate it. oh completely <laughs> you have saved me many other times too. Oh, man. that's what friends are for all right tell us about this w- treaty with the world's longest name
0: oh my gosh yes so article 7 of this treaty um which was enabled on october 10th 1967 states and i'm just going to read it directly as it is in quotes Each state party to the treaty that launches or procures the launching of an object into outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, and each state party from whose territory or facility an object is launched, is internationally liable for damage to another state party to the treaty or to its natural or judicial persons by such object or its component parts on the Earth, in air, space, or in outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies. Whoa. That was a lot of words. That
1: was was a lot happening
0: there. That's right. But in summary, this law describes liability, and specifically financial liability, of one team's space project that causes damage to another team's space project.
1: Okay, I liked that. That That's... Two line didn't read. That was good. That was very good. I needed that. Thank you. I feel like I just struggle with lawyer terms. Oh, dude, there are times in my life where I'm like, maybe I should have been a lawyer, and then I read something like this, and I'm like, nope, nope. <laughs> like,
0: I have engi- an engineering degree, and you would think I w- can figure out how to enroll in my own medical benefits. And <laughs> oh god, I had to get my
1: dad to help me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have to ask like my parents, my friends to like break down the sentences
1: oh god i was trying to file taxes for something and i was on the phone with my dad i was like do you understand what this means and he just went no <laughs> I was like great it's
0: like i think we need a tldr <laughs> with all
1: lo- a lo- like yeah. legal forms i don't understand what this is telling me like <laughs> <laughs> but i thought your reading of that was really good thanks anna
0: So the problem here is, so yes, there is a fancy law out there that describes liability. But the problem is, is that it describes financial liability. It does not. um, It does not. And there is no other international law that exists, exists to describe how space debris should be cleaned up and whether it's required to be cleaned up.
1: Oh, no. Exactly. I don't feel good about that.
0: Yeah, me neither. Space debris is an international problem that needs to get solved via a collaborative effort.
1: Well, yeah, I like it is it's everybody's problem.
0: Exactly. Like we all want so to we explore need to solve space it together.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So we all got to make it so we can do that. mm mm-hmm. Mhm.
0: In the US, the NASA Orbital Debris Program that exists since 1979 in the Space Sciences branch at the Johnson Space Center, uh which is located in Texas, this program studies methods that can either create less orbital debris, um, or the program also describes equipment to remove debris that currently exists in space. I bet that's a cool place to work. You know, I was thinking that too.
1: (laughs) I was like, I bet that's a fun job.
0: (sighs) The NASA Orbital Debris Program Office website goes into debris remediation and specifically debris reentry. So debris re-entry means when a human-made piece of technology is decommissioned in space, meaning it's no longer going to work or it's no longer going to collect data. Um, So what the program website describes is that this decommissioned hardware should safely enter the Earth's atmosphere and burn up. But in order to do this safely and guarantee that it won't hit inhabited areas, The spacecraft will require extra fuel for controlled re-entry propulsion systems. The typical breakup altitude, this is the altitude at which a spacecraft will fragment, is about 78 kilometers. After the spacecraft breaks up into fragments, these fragments continue to heat up from aerodynamic forces at high speeds and then will eventually burn up.
1: Okay, so what essentially this is saying is that you need to have a way to get it out of the orbit into burn up in the atmosphere. Yes, that's okay, right. Cool. Gotcha.
0: But we can't just like, it has to be a controlled reentry. And the issue here is like, you know, you have to carry more mass, more propulsion, more fuel with you. Yeah, and that's expensive. And that's expensive. But at the same time, it's like, it's saving us in the future when we want to send hardware back up there.
1: Yeah, we gotta do it. Exactly. It's like recycling. Yeah, it's more work to separate your recycling. Uh, yes, but it helps the environment. I love so that. So you need to do it.
0: Now we've talked about how NASA is studying taking a propulsion system with you to de- safely deorbit and reenter the atmosphere. But on the other hand, how do we mitigate the debris that's decommissioned now? Well, there's a few teams around the world that are looking into this, but I wanted to highlight one. Um, and that is ESA, and I wanted to specifically highlight one of their missions. So ESA, the European Space Agency, is working on Clear Space One, which is a spacecraft that will launch in 2025, and it's designed to remove orbital debris from space. It is, an er- it is in an early stage right now, and it w- and what the team is doing is that it's exploring various methods that can be used to remove orbital junk. The current plan is that it will capture the upper part of Vespa, which is the Vega Secondary Payload Adapter, which was left in a disposal orbit after the second flight of Vega in 2013. Clear Space 1 will capture Vespa using robotic tentacles, sensors, and cameras. And after capturing it, it will prepare the object for re-entry. Then they will both buddy up and burn up safely in the atmosphere so i'm really excited to see how this project will evolve something that did that's so cool i thought it was it really so
1: futuristic ex-
0: right <laughs> i thought it was really cool but what made me like so fascinated by the concept was where isa is engineering this hardware for intentional burn-up you know yeah that i was like oh they're gonna lose it exactly that's what i was thinking about. i was like wow it's for the greater good
1: yeah and i also maybe it'd be cool like maybe if like this could be the first iteration it'd be really cool if we could have a version one day that didn't need to be need to be burned up and could be like a space roomba yes that could just keep going and getting other stuff
0: yes ah uh, i love That's that so concept interesting. <laughs> space <Roombas. laughs>
1: i have a roomba and i am emotionally attached to it <laughs> every time i have to vacuum with my actual vacuum like oh my god oh my god i have to push this thing around <laughs> So 2025, that's cool. All right. Something to look out for in four years.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's all I have for the intro into Space Debris.
1: I thought that was perfect. Space Debris 101. That's right.
0: Thanks, Anna. I'm excited to hear yeah. about all the major events that have created the Space Debris.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. I had, it was fun researching this one because it was interesting. Um, it was like fun, but also sad.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But I, let's take a little break first. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> All right, we're back, everybody. And I think in my new place, I'm far enough from the oven that you won't hear it go off. (laughs) (laughs) What do you have in it today? (laughs) I ordered a pizza the other day. I was so exhausted for moving. I was like, I'm just getting a pizza. Yeah. That means I have leftover pizza for lunch today, which I'm very excited about.
0: Heck yeah. That's my favorite thing about moving is that I have a very valid excuse not to cook.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, I feel no guilt.
0: (laughs) Exactly. All right, Anna, you want to go ahead and introduce us to some cool garbage causing uh, events?
1: Yes. So unfortunately, there have been a number of large space garbage producing events. I'm just going to summarize a few of the biggest ones. And I'm going to start out with something that it's not a particular event per se. However, it was something that took me by surprise when I was doing research. We're going to go back to the very beginning of space exploration. Nuclear power was a strong candidate to power satellites. Radioactive materials such as uranium-235 were more reliable than batteries, provided more energy than solar panels, and had the potential to power a satellite for years. This was around 1965. So this is before the true dangers of radioactivity and radiation were known. So if you're listening to this, doing something that I did and going, didn't Chernobyl happen way before that? No. Chernobyl actually only happened in 1986. So it's really not all that long ago. Yeah, uh, which is scary if you think about it. On a side note, it's old news now, but the TV show on HBO Chernobyl is at times hard to watch, but it's uh, it's a great show and I feel like it very accurately summarizes what happened. Yeah, right? and I was for a while.
0: Yeah, you talked about it at one of our older episodes.
1: Did I? It's really good. I it's really good.
0: I'll have to I don't have HBO, but I'm definitely going to go to YouTube and I'm
1: sure I can find some interesting clips. The U.S. launched a single nuclear-powered satellite in 1965. It operated for 43 days and then stopped responding. However, this is not an episode about nuclear-powered satellites. That would be really cool, though. We should do that.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd love to do an episode on that.
1: Yeah, I had to like stop myself to be like, stop, stop, stop. That's not what this episode is about. This will go <laughs> really long. So there were around 30 nuclear-powered satellites were launched by the USSR between 1965 and 1988. The nuclear reactors contained within them are similar to the ones you would find in nuclear power plants, they're just a whole lot smaller. Excuse me, what this means is there are about 30 nuclear reactors floating around in space at an orbit of about 600 miles or 965 kilometers. Most of them do not have any chance of hitting Earth, or if they do, it shouldn't happen for at least 3,000 years when they would no longer be harmful. However, the real danger, like most space garbage, comes from the risk of collision. If something were to slam into one of these reactors, it could spray radioactive material. And this exact sequence of events hasn't happened. However, in 1999, scientists discovered mysterious clouds of junk orbiting earth. They had no idea what they were or where they came from. It took five years, but scientists were eventually able to trace these clouds back to radioactive debris leaking from Russian nuclear satellites. I can't tell if it's only from one satellite or multiple. Different sources are reporting different things. But what this consisted of was a mixture of liquid sodium and potassium, which is used as a coolant and is highly radioactive. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's not good. Oh, no. Yeah, it's not good. This was the first reported instance of nuclear power pollution in space. Fortunately, it is so high up that it poses no risk to humans on Earth. So anybody on Earth, you don't have to worry about that. So you might be wondering, okay, what damage can this cloud do? Mm-hmm. Well, in this case, unfortunately, a lot. This cloud contains an estimated seventy thousand detectable particles, which range in size from point six to two centimeters, or about the size of a quarter. Seventy thousand of these. Yeah. Yep, and those are only the ones that we can detect. Oh my. So gosh. they don't really know. Yeah. They don't really know how many there are, and it, it could potentially be up to millions. Oh no. Yeah, it's not good. And as we've already discussed, even small particles can cause a lot of damage. As Hannah already discussed, Dr. Donald J. Kessler, who originated the Kessler theory, is quoted in the New York Times saying, liquid droplets moving at 10 kilometers a second relative to a spacecraft might as well be solid. They do just as much damage. Wow. I did not realize that. That's a really cool fact. It is a really cool fact, but it's a bummer. It's a real bummer. (laughs) So you basically have 70,000 like rocks floating around up there. Whew, which is not good.
0: So That's when it was crazy. initially just
1: dis- yeah, not good. When it was initially discovered, there was concern regarding the yet to be launched International Space Station. Again, I was like, when was the International Space Station launched? It was November 20th, 1988. I also thought it was a lot older than it was. So, clearly the theme of this episode is uh I have no concept of time. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I struggle with that too <laughs> i'm like 1988 hasn't it been there forever no <laughs> so fortunately the debris was in a higher orbit than the iss and it has not caused any issues for it uh, just as a reference the iss orbit is 400 kilometers at 51.6 degrees inclination however due to the cloud extra pre- extra precautions had to be taken for any satellites launched after its discovery there is also serious concern that the reactors will continue to leak. A New York Times article I was reading and will have linked ended with a quote from Dr. Kessler saying, only we're worried about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which didn't make me feel good, if I'm being honest. Oh,
0: my gosh. That's hilarious like,
1: and sad at the same time. <laughs> The man who this this the man who essentially discovered Kessler syndrome created it. It's named after. It's just like we're concerned about this. We're worried about it. Okay, cool. Uh, me too. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Okay. So oh that gosh. is that is a bummer.
0: Yeah, I can't believe that. These are droplets, you know, like at first yeah. when you said when you went over these nuclear reactors created all these particles, I thought solid particles. And then it took me a second to understand that you you identified the nuclear materials and it was droplets like liquid
1: droplets that are moving so fast. Yeah. It's also crazy that it took them five years to figure out where these were coming from. Yeah, that is like crazy. Had, yeah. Yeah. I also, I didn't know about this at all. I I had, I knew about essentially the major space debris causing events, which I'm going to talk about a little bit. I had no idea about this. Same. I have never come across
0: any sort of reading of nuclear droplets forming a
1: cloud in space. Me either. Me either. So um, I thought that was really interesting in like a scary way. Yeah, definitely. But I was like, why isn't this talked about in books that talk about space garbage? Right? I don't know. But now you all know. So you're in the know now. <laughs> all right. So coming in at second place to the radioactive debris clouds, I guess second place to me, I don't know what second place that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the second one I'm going to talk about, is Fengyun 1C. Fengyun 1C, or FY1C, was a weather satellite launched by the Chinese into a polar orbit at an altitude of 865 kilometers, or 537 miles it was part of the feng Yun group of weather satellites on january 11th 2007 china conducted an anti-satellite or asat missile test an anti-satellite or asat weapon does exactly what its name implies it does it interferes or destroys satellites essentially what happened was that the chinese launched a kinetic kill vehicle All that is, it's just a projectile that doesn't contain explosives or charges of any kind. So I think a cannonball would be a kinetic kill vehicle.
0: That's a great example.
1: Yeah, because the ball is launched, but that doesn't contain any explosives. The actual cannonball doesn't. Yeah. The kinetic kill vehicle was launched such that it would collide with the FY1C satellite and destroy it. And that is exactly what happened. The kinetic kill vehicle impacted the FY1C going at a speed of 8 kilometers per second. Which doesn't sound like that much until you put it into miles per hour and it's 18,000 miles per hour. Oof. Yeah. Every time I see kilometers per second, I'm like, that's not a lot. And then I have to remember it's because I'm not used to seeing speeds in seconds. Yeah. <laughs> it's 18,000 miles per hour in the opposite direction of the satellite. So you even get that going onto it too, because because there, it's like a head-on car collision, you get both of that. It compounds. But China was not the first or only country to conduct anti-satellite tests. In 1985, the U.S. successfully intercepted and destroyed the U.S. satellite Solwind P78-1, which was orbiting at a height of 555 kilometers. However, the reason Fangun-1C is more commonly mentioned in terms of orbital debris than P78-1 is due to the sheer amount amount of created debris. As of January 2016, the destruction of Fangun-1C is the largest orbital debris-creating event ever. In total, it produced an estimated three thousand four hundred twenty-eight pieces of orbital debris. Wow, which is a whole lot.
0: Yeah, that
1: is just a bummer.
0: Crazy. I actually did not realize. I mean, it makes sense now that I'm thinking about it. But I did not realize that these kinds of uh, projects took place. Anti-satellite missile tests i didn't realize that either
1: and i don't think one has taken place for a long time
0: yeah yeah i would i feel like that would be a hot news topic if it was if this was recent um but yeah fascinating
1: yeah it's crazy
0: yeah it is pretty crazy let's intentionally create garbage in space
1: yeah it's, yeah it, it's but bummer. they didn't realize sure, at the time you know i'm sure nobody was thinking about it that way Yeah, but that is in retrospect that's what it looks like but i can guarantee you nobody thought about that at the time uh, right or if they did they didn't realize how much of an issue it would become completely mm-hmm. all right so the final event i'm going to talk about is cosmos 2251 cosmos 2251 was a russian military communication satellite that was launched into leo on June 16, 1993. It stopped working in 1995 and remained in a low earth orbit. Leo, as Henna mentioned, is an incredibly popular orbit, and it therefore is also the most congested. They were actually criticized by the space review, which is a free online publication, which has essays and articles about space are leaving a non-operational satellite in such a popular orbit rather than deorbiting it, which is what Henna talked about, saying that when rockets go up, they have to carry enough fuel such that they can exit the orbit. You can call that disposal or deorbiting. Mm-hmm. In order to do this, you need some sort of propulsion to break out of the orbit, exactly like Henna said. And so in order to have that propulsion, you need to carry more fuel and you need to have more weight, which will cost you more money. So, Russia responded to this saying there were no laws requiring them to do so, and their satellite had no propulsive system, meaning they literally couldn't deorbit it. And as Henna already mentioned, there are still no concrete international laws regarding deorbiting. There are the laws Henna mentioned, but there's nothing really concrete about it.
0: Yeah, there needs to be, there really needs to be regulation and yeah. international laws that, like, that encourage designers and engineers to take that into account early in the process of designing spacecraft.
1: It's just a bummer. And at the time, I don't think it was really understood. Space is huge. Yes. It's like, how are we going to fill that up? What are the chance things are going to hit together? Well, unfortunately, higher than we think. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, it's huge. Are we really going to fill it up? We didn't know. On On February 10th, 2009, around 800 kilometers above Siberia, Cosmos 2251 collided with an operational Iridium satellite, Iridium 33. Iridium satellites are a U.S. network of satellites which provide service for sat phones. My dad actually worked on both the old Iridium satellites, or the original Iridium satellites, and the replacement Iridium satellites. That's really cool. I think that's a, that's so cool. I know. He's a cool guy. He's another space lover. Probably the reason, Definitely the reason I love space so much. <laughs> The two satellites collided at almost right angles to each other, and the resulting collision created 2,000 trackable pieces of debris, which means they're at least 10 centimeters, and thousands of smaller, untrackable pieces. So the first thought everyone has upon hearing this is, how did this even happen? Aren't satellites tracked? That's yeah. obviously my first thought. And that is true. They are tracked. And starting in June 2007... The US military was supplying daily warnings to Iridium regarding any potential collision risks involving their satellites. However, due to the sheer volume of objects in space, the number of warnings was huge. Another important thing to note is that even the most tra- accurate is that even the most accurate tracking data cannot say for certain if two objects will collide. It can only report that there will be a close encounter. So when one of these arises and only one of the objects is maneuverable it is the job of the maneuverable satellite to choose whether or not to perform a collision performance maneuver it makes me think of if you sail at all or boat the uh the give way vehicle is the more maneuverable vehicle so if you have a sailboat and a motorboat the motorboat is the more maneuverable vehicle so that's the one that has to move same deal here oh interesting Yeah, exactly. So it makes sense. Only one of them can move. It's that one's job to determine whether or not they move. Right. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Well, it may seem obvious to just get out of the way. Like, if there's a close call, why wouldn't you just get out of the way and not risk it? There's a lot of reasons why you may not do that. And the main one being is that that extra maneuver would expend fuel. And it could potentially shorten its usable lifespan.
0: Wow. So it, it is a gamble because these tracking yes. systems will not tell you, oh, you're 100% going to collide. Get out of the way. No. You may collide. It You should be the one getting out of the way. But also it's like you have all these tasks and data you want to collect.
1: So it, it's a gamble. Exactly. And let's say you have to do this every day. You could potentially shorten your lifespan by a lot. Yeah, that's a good point. So it's an interesting... I don't know if there's a clear answer about what the right choice is and i'm sure it depends on every situation Mm -hmm. but due to the sheer number of alerts iridium was getting with nothing actually colliding the alerts were stopped sometime before the collision this actually made me think of have you ever like gotten emails like about something and you just ignored them because you got so many that were useless and then you finally get one that's important but you ignored it (laughs)
0: Yes, and then you go back and you're like, oh, frick.
1: I did get that email, but it had the same subject about all these other emails that were important, so I just stopped paying attention to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of what happened here, and we've all been there. Anybody who says they haven't is lying.
0: Yeah, completely. We all do it. We're human.
1: (laughs) Oh, we do. We do. After the collision, however, the Iridium satellite constellation began being analyzed for collision risks using higher accuracy data. This is actually the same data they use for human spaceflight vehicles or important or high-cost satellites. This analysis is done by the Combined Space Operations Center, or CSPOC, which is a multinational space operations center by the U.S. So what they did is they began adding it to its daily conjunction assessment procedures. That's the official title. I thought that sounded fancy. It really does. I know. By the end of 2009, almost all satellites in Earth orbit have been added to the CSPOC's screening. And then to my knowledge, from what I could find online, the current procedure is that they will send out a warning 72 hours in advance to the operators of any satellites, which are due to have a close approach within one kilometer for LEOs and five kilometers for GEOs.
0: I think that's fantastic.
1: Yeah. So essentially what happened is they added all of the satellites to a more advanced tracking system and they have a more uniform method for sending out warnings.
0: I love this. It's like, you know, when you order food for delivery and you get your notifications, your driver is about to arrive um, or your food is about to be delivered. I feel like this is the same thing, except you are about to collide with another satellite. Yeah. Get it together.
1: <laughs> exactly. Not quite as fun as your pizza is going to be <laughs> here in a minute, but that's okay. <laughs> Perfect analogy. Is it? So, <laughs> I liked it. I'm Thanks. also hungry. <laughs> I'm not going to get into whose fault it is. I do not have the ability to know. However, what I think is important to take away from this is that procedures were put into place to prevent this from happening in the future. And we have not seen an event on this scale since. And then to end this, I found this great quote from an article regarding the incident in, coincidentally, the Space Review by Michael Listener. The quote is, If we remember anything on this anniversary of the collision between Iridium-33 and Cosmos-2251, it should be that the problem cannot be wished away, and ignoring it will ensure that another, perhaps more serious incident will occur in the future. Beautiful. I love that. It's, it's serious, but it really sums up
0: just like the how we should be forward looking exactly this happened we have to learn from it or exactly again and yeah. i believe we did you put it in so many you put in way better words thank you for helping me out
1: there no, i liked yours too i thought <laughs> yours were good i've just read this quote so many times at this point <laughs> before we close it out Hannah, do you want to tell people where they can find us
0: yeah i'd love to All right, so you can find us at But It Is RS on our Twitter. You can find us on Instagram at But It Is Rocket Science. You can check out our Facebook page by just searching for But It Is Rocket Science. If you want to go check out our website, please check out www.ButItIsRocketScience.com. And we would love to hear from you. So we have a contact page on our website. So feel free to drop us a note. Yes. Uh, Drop us a note. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. We're always open to constructive feedback. And if you have yes. any episode ideas, please shoot them our way. We'd love yeah. to hear them. If if you really, really want to make us make our month, please. We'd love to get a review uh, on yes. Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Any sort of review, we would absolutely appreciate it. All right, you want to do our sources? Let's do it. All right, so I'll I'll go first. So I um, went. I referenced a few NASA.gov articles. One was a NASA.gov article for. Um, Orbital debris. Another one was about uh, space debris. Um, I also referenced the SpaceReview.com. I read an article on SpaceLegalIssues.com. I uh, referenced the Clean Space Mission on a uh, ESA.int website. Another article from SpaceLegalIssues.com, which was the legal status of space debris, and I. The last website I. I referenced was orbitaldebris.jsc, so the Johnson Space Center, uh, NASA.gov website. Nice. Thanks. How about you, Anna?
1: Oh, man. Okay. I, I used the NASA.gov page to find an article about space debris. It's actually where I got that poem from that we started with at the beginning. I used a Wikipedia page for just the list of space-producing events. I used Wikipedia for Cosmos 954. I used Business Insider to talk about nuclear-powered satellites. I used Wikipedia again for the Chernobyl to figure out the year of the Chernobyl disaster because I couldn't remember off the top of my head. I have that New York Times article that I quoted from that talks about radioactive debris in space threatened satellites in U.S. That's actually a really great article. I highly recommend. A Wikipedia article about Feng Yun, CFR.org about China's anti-satellite test, Wikipedia about anti-satellite weapons, Wikipedia about the Chinese anti-satellite missile test, TechCrunch.com about updates to orbital debris rules. Iridium.com for the Iridium satellites. SWfound.org about the, about the Iridium Cosmos con, about the Iridium Cosmos collision. Wikipedia for the International Space Station because I also couldn't remember what year that launched. <laughs> Wikipedia for the Combined Space Operations Center and the SpaceReview.com article that I quoted from at the very end. Nice. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you so much. Alright, you ready? I'm gonna close it out. Yes, let's do it. My favorite part. Until next time, Space Cadets. T minus three, three, two, two one, one lift off. off.